Hello everyone, welcome to the Shine a Light on series. Today we're shining a light on becoming a founder with Sandhya Ayer. Welcome Sandhya. Hi, thank you Mariah. I'm so excited to be here. Excited to chat with you today. And to start, do you mind just giving us a brief introduction to who you are? Yeah, definitely. So I'm Sandhya. I'm born and raised in San Jose, California. I'm back home right now. I graduated from Syracuse University in May 2020. I studied public relations and marketing when I was there and had my first entrepreneurial experience right after I graduated as the co-founder and CEO of a startup called Geek Girl Careers, which is essentially a career exploration platform for women interested in tech. So we empower our users to find careers that align with what they're passionate about and skilled at. Awesome. Thank you so much. I am super excited to chat with you. First of all, I'm a woman in tech myself, so I love the idea of your platform. And I think our missions might align in terms of Opal's mission. And you said it was called Girl Geek Tech or Careers. What was it called? Yeah, Geek Girl Careers. Awesome. Thank you so much. So what inspired you to become a founder or what is your company's founding story? Yeah, definitely. So as I think with most, it's like a little bit long-winded. When I was in high school, I had like a hard time figuring out what I wanted to do or what I wanted to pursue in college. Like I was interested in writing and business and psychology, like in theater and fashion. And I was like, okay, I don't know like what I can do that can kind of tie all these things together or, you know, keep things broad enough if I change my mind, but still involves things I'm interested in. So I was very much someone who had a hard time figuring out what I wanted to do. And so my dad kind of guided me through that process and wanted to build something that would help other students who were kind of going through the same problem. And so many of my friends were. So we built Geek Girl Careers as a resource. And essentially on our platform, we have a personality assessment that connects users to three to five different careers in tech that you know an algorithm decides they would be a good fit for. So for example, people get careers like marketing, UX design, software engineering, and then you have the chance to learn about why you're a good fit for that role, what skills you need to develop, where you can work, and then you get to connect with like industry experts and we provide a ton of other resources. So that's kind of what Geek Girl Careers started off as. And it was very much just a resource when we started off. Within like a few months of you know it going live, I went to Syracuse. And honestly, I think I was both busy and also a combination of that and just not being super confident in my abilities to be able to take Geek Girl Careers on and like run the marketing and run the social stuff. I was involved with it. Like I would write blog posts, people would take our assessment, but it didn't really grow much during that time period. And then senior year, I went through another kind of a career crisis and was like, you know what? I think I want to do something social impact related. Didn't know if that would be on the fashion side of things or tech side of things, but that interest in social impact combined with me coming home because of COVID and kind of reigniting my involvement with Geek Girl Careers was kind of the catalyst for me to decide, okay, why don't I try taking this on full time and like running it as a startup and like try to monetize it and see how I can grow it. And so it was like a five-year process kind of, I think, but that was kind of the journey to how I started working on it full time. Wonderful. That's really cool. I haven't heard too many stories like that where you didn't necessarily take a break, but there was a bit of dip maybe in Mm -hmm. your like the time or energy you could put into it. And then you sort of came back stronger than ever. That's really cool. Yeah, definitely. 
And I think you're a perfect example of, I believe it's called a founder's market fit, where a founder goes through some pain point and then they create something to help others prevent going through that same pain. And it sounds like that's your, your story. And it makes a lot of sense. Thank you for sharing. On this note, I know you've mentioned to me before that you don't come from an entrepreneurial background necessarily, which people who fall into this founder's market fit, I think like often don't, to be honest. It's Mm -hmm. their pain point. They just want to try and make something and it's not like necessarily in their wheelhouse, but they're going to try because they're passionate about it. So before we talk about how you built the background for yourself, what do you view as a typical entrepreneurial background? Because I feel like there's so many different stories, but I guess like what comes to mind for you? Yeah, I think what made me feel like I wasn't from a typical entrepreneurial background is just a lot of the stuff that I would see on social media or like the entrepreneurship groups that I would join, you know, when I started the Geek Girls Journey. And it was people who had kind of been involved in entrepreneurship societies or clubs starting from like in high school or college or who had like dabbled in startups or were like, oh, I interned at a VC, or I like started this with my friends, or I've worked on like three startups before, like getting out of school and like whatever capacity, or like really, really, really well connected in these certain industries and can name like 15 people off the top of their heads who are like, oh yeah, like this person started this, this person works at this VC. I know a person at this fund. Like I was so be I mean I wasn't I didn't know about all of that when I started I was like literally what is a VC almost like had to like learn up on yes. all of that before I started and so I feel like seeing people with that kind of experience I definitely was like a little bit intimidated and I feel like just important to remember that like whatever your background is you come in with a different perspective but like that's kind of what I think of when I think of traditional entrepreneurial background at least in our age and like young professionals, Mm -hmm. like fresh out of school almost. Yeah. Yes, definitely. Definitely. I agree with you. I also don't come from an entrepreneurial background necessarily. So I agree with you. And on a student level, I definitely agree with you. It's like the people who have done startups since they were children and are in every entrepreneurial club. And it's very intimidating. And I think especially women in tech specifically, in a lot of different industries, but in tech specifically, Mm -hmm. we talk about this idea of imposter syndrome a lot. I don't talk about that as often with other women who are entrepreneurs, but it's so, Mm -hmm. I think, not specifically to women, but even just experience wise. And uh, I guess like a knowledge gap almost between people who are like in this space their whole lives or at a young age versus people who are entering it later than them, I suppose. Not that we are late to any game at all, right. but you know yeah. what I mean. I don't know if you feel this way too, but I sometimes think even when I was like working through different problems with geek girls, like, oh, if I'd had like 10 years of experience or like eight years of experience, or I knew how companies operate in terms of marketing, or I'd like worked on campaigns that had done really, like, I think my experience came from like internships and like mentors mm-hmm. in school. And I feel like that's so different to how, to getting that kind of inside experience into like how a company runs and like all these things. And I feel like sometimes that contributes to a little bit of imposter syndrome too, because you're like, I really like don't know what, I, like, I feel like you're like running through fire, you know, like yes. every, every single thing, like trial by fire. But yeah, that's kind of like, I definitely felt 
imposter syndrome is so real, but I feel like that also contributed to, to some of it. Yes, definitely. I agree with you. It helps to think that everyone had to learn it for the first time at some point though. (laughs) That makes me feel a lot better. So true. And because you started chatting about it a little bit, I would love to hear from you how you went about building that background for yourself. I know we just chatted about how you have to essentially live and learn, but were there some key moments or points in that helped you through this journey? Yeah, definitely. I would say in some ways I got a little bit lucky because we had like the core of Geek Girls platform and like the tech aspect of it kind of built out before I started full-time. And so most of my role was kind of on like the marketing, like building user base, like managing a team, building out social partnerships, like all of that. Um, And while we did do like product launches and I had to get more comfortable with the tech side of things, most of it was a little bit based off of what I had learned in school. And I think the things that probably helped me most were like pitch competitions in school, learning how to like put together decks, just getting comfortable, like pitching myself and my ideas, like getting the chance to like put together cohesive messaging, get like geek girl's purpose mission across in like one sentence, you know, getting comfortable bringing it up in conversation. Like I feel like all of those things that were that you need if you're like marketing your company and like trying to put it out there. I feel like I gained confidence in a lot of that when I was at school. And then I think just in terms of like social media, I had like some knowledge of it, but actually the first people I brought on to the Geek Girls team were two people to help with social media because I very quickly realized that like I'm not doing it as well as I could be. And it was just It takes so much time and so much effort. And so I think at some point I was like, okay, there are certain things that I don't have that kind of experience for. Then you delegate it, right? And then you bring on people who like know how to do it better than you. But I would say that I think like the pitching and networking and kind of all the soft skills are what helped the most. Yeah. And not being afraid of a cold email. I think that too. Yes. Or even a cold call. Those are terrifying <laughs> but yeah I definitely oh, agree with you. objectively scarier than cold emails <laughs> yes yes yeah no further comments I agree <laughs> no I really like your answer and two points I guess I want to emphasize from my experiences too is from what you said if you're a student like leverage as many on-campus resources as you can for Opal as we were still students we they have a bit of like an incubator and an accelerator and random sort of like legal teams that can help Mm. that are like based at our our campus. So there are probably resources on your campus as a student that will be super helpful. And I know you listed a few things, whether it's even just individual people or whole programs, there's usually something. And I really also like your point about knowing your limitations and hiring or onboarding people who fill those gaps, essentially. Definitely. And actually to go off of your point about resources on campus, I think my biggest, one of my biggest regrets is not working on Geek Girls when I was at Syracuse because we have Blackstone Launchpad program at Syracuse and they have like a fantastic incubator. Like the executive director of the program at Syracuse is amazing. And she's like helped and mentored me, even though I never knew her when I was on campus. The moment she found out that I was working on Geek Girls, she was like, how can I help you? We would talk all the time. She was a great resource, but 
Yeah, on-campus incubators are just, I think, underrated the opportunity to work so closely with like so many other student entrepreneurs and like have access to those resources. And there are even so many like grant competitions and pitch competitions and ways to just like start raising money as a student, you know, through those programs. So yes, like highly, highly, highly agree with, with that, that you were saying, like definitely seek out those resources on your campus for any students listening. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. No, thank you. Actually, a third point that I love that you said is learning to pitch what you're trying to sell or do, because there was a bit of time where every week I would be pitching to someone just for feedback, basically. Mm -hmm. And that was the most growing point. And they were strangers too, right? Which is is super important because, and I guess along those lines, if you're pitching to your friends all the time or your parents or something, it's, it's different. It's different than pitching to a stranger or an investor or whoever it is. So yeah, love that point too. My next question for you, we talked a little bit about our perceptions of entrepreneurs before becoming ones ourselves, but what is some myth about entrepreneurship that you heard prior to starting a business that you now do not think is true? That's a really good question. Maybe something that I thought right when I started that I think was dispelled. It took a while to dispel, I think, for me, but I guess I'll explain. So literally when I started, I was like, okay, you need to raise money. Like if you're going to have a successful startup, you need to go out and get funding. Like if you're not VC backed, you're not a successful startup. Like I feel like that's the way my mindset was working because when you, when you think of all these startups and you see all these posts on LinkedIn or you read TechCrunch articles, it's like so-and-so raised like 40 million. Like, you know, whether it's like 1 million, 10 million, $40 million, it's like, it seems that all the news you hear and what kind of is deemed successful is they've raised like a certain amount of money and that automatically means things are going really well, you know? So I feel like that kind of, a, and if you haven't raised money, that means you're not doing well. Like, I feel like that's the way that I thought about it. And I think I something that's like important to remember is that, yeah, sometimes you need to raise money. Like if you need the technology to build your product or you need to hire people or like for whatever reason you need resources and you need the money, like you do need to go out there and get it. There are grants, there's angel funding, there's crowdfunding, there's all these other ways to raise money. But VC money does come with strings attached. And I feel like you, once you start working on your company, it becomes clear that like you can bootstrap. There are all these other ways to raise just because you don't go the VC route doesn't mean you're not successful. And I think that's something that I had to, I think when I first started, I was like, oh my God, I need to go raise money. And then like a few months in, I was like, I don't know if I want to raise money anymore, you know? And so I feel like my perception of that like totally changed. I would say that was a big one. Yeah, that's definitely a big one. And I did not know anything really about raising funding before exploring this realm. So it makes a lot of sense. And I agree with you too, even depending on the round you're in or who you're trying to raise from, like there's so many little rules and such that you, you learn along the way, but that's good. It seems like you've learned a lot in that realm, which is, which is healthy, healthy to learn. I will mention for me from a different angle to the same question, a myth I had heard and experienced because my mom is an entrepreneur too, is that it's almost not impossible. I won't say that, but it's extremely difficult to be one. And by that, I mean, I always heard that entrepreneurs are always stressed and always 
tired and always busy, like no time to do anything. It's not that that's not true. It can be true. I think all these things can be true, but you and I both too have roles outside of our like entrepreneurial mm-hmm. pursuits. So I think we know, we know that you can make time for other things. Sometimes you have to, especially being like a student fresh out of college, our typical path, I suppose, for people in our realms is to, you know, find some full-time role. It's right. not super typical for people to become like entrepreneurs during right. or after college, but right. this forced balance, I think has been healthy, hopefully for you, but for me too, in that, okay, I need to balance it with this other work I have to do. And while I'm at, while I'm at it, I might as well balance all of this with, you know, my personal life and yes. other things that I want to do besides work. So I think it's been helpful becoming an entrepreneur as a student and right after being a student. So do you have any thoughts on that or similar experiences? Yeah. A couple of things I want to say is one, I totally agree with you and like wanted to also emphasize that like having a side hustle and like not running a business full time still makes you an entrepreneur, you know, like you don't have to be putting in like 50 hours a week to make it like a business. Doing that in addition to something else like still makes you an entrepreneur. I feel like that's important to remember. And I agree. I mean, I think I still like am very much figuring out the full-time role and startup thing. So any advice from you, I think would be appreciated (laughs) because I literally had been working on Geek Girls full-time up until about like six weeks ago. And so I think I'm still, I've actually tried to become better at this to give myself some grace and to allow myself to settle into my new role before picking things back up with Geek Girls and for to figure out like how I'm going to divide my time, like you were saying, and like maintain that balance. But yeah, I think it is so important. And like having things where, you know, if we're lucky enough to be passionate about what we're doing nine to five, and then like also five to nine, or, you know, however you say it, like, Mm -hmm. I think we'll like make the time. Yeah. And then hopefully make time also to to relax and take care of ourselves and like all the other important things. Yes, definitely agree. I am curious from your perspective. I think we've mentioned a few times now we were both students when we initially started, at least like thinking about our ideas, conceptualizing and getting people to believe in us. I suppose this all happened while we were students. And I've been fortunate enough to chat with a lot of students who are interested in starting something. And I hear patterns. I hear like similar questions or sort of worries, I suppose, that students have. And I'm interested in your perspective, whether it's from your personal experiences or others that you've heard. What do you think the biggest obstacle is for students who want to start their own business? Yeah, I think the first two that immediately come to mind are like time and money. I mean, you have like 10,000 things going on as a student, you know, like you have school and then clubs and then friends like within walking. Like, I feel like there's just so much going on and really putting aside the time like every day to build something from scratch is it's really, really hard. And I think just being able to put in that kind of time is an obstacle. And I think also money because a lot of times like you need to you need some kind of capital to to build something to test something to market something and i think finding that can also be an obstacle and i think even just the time that it would take to flesh out ideas to test it to put together pitch decks to apply for competitions i mean to get that money you need that kind of time and i think that i think both of those put together 
definitely make it hard. If you are passionate about starting something, I think there are ways to get started as a student and just to like test out the waters. I mean, whether it's, I don't know, for example, like a resale platform for clothes or like even for, you know, geek girl careers. If I had taken the time when I was in school to like write blogs or, you know, starting a podcast or, you know, just like interviewed women in tech or started to build that foundation, I think I would have had a bigger network for when I was ready to put aside the time to do this full time. And I think there are ways to kind of build a foundation for something that you want to start when you're a student, even if you may not be able to dive fully into it at that point, if that makes sense. That definitely makes a lot of sense because what comes to mind for me initially is what isn't an obstacle is students always have ideas. Like I feel like students mm-hmm. are are brilliant, but the time and money is a huge, a huge thing. A few that I would add are actually maybe it's just one. It could be bundled to one, which is self-doubt. That's like mm-hmm. kind of a huge one actually from the people I speak to. Either they're not sure what to do or who to speak to which usually there's someone on campus to, to talk to about these things, but sometimes there's not. So it's hard to know, yeah. you know, who to even ask for help on how to get started. But interestingly, a lot of what I hear from students who have an idea is that they don't really believe that they're entrepreneurs. And I don't know if they mm. have heard their own like myths or stereotypes about entrepreneurs, but they just don't think they are one. I, which I think is just, not, I won't use the word silly because it's a fair emotion, like a thought that they're right. feeling. But I mean, an entrepreneur is just anyone that wants to improve the world in some yeah. way. And that's yeah. kind of it. Like that's the definition. Yeah. So I don't know what, what the hurdle is to sort of, you have to be in the mindset though, to believe that you can do it and then it will happen. It's not like, oh, once my company is acquired, then I'll know I'm an entrepreneur. Like you have to right. believe it before, like at the idea stage. Otherwise you can't get to that last point. Yeah. 100%. And I think yes. even going off of that point, like I think the general knowledge about like what it takes to start a company or what it takes to, you know, get something off the ground, I feel like is not like inaccessible for students, but I feel like students don't know that it exists. Like I didn't, mm-hmm. you know, I feel like if, well, like even for me, like I had Geek Girl Careers was when I was at Syracuse, but I didn't really like interact with the Blackstone Launchpad. Like I wasn't ever involved in the entrepreneurial like side of things. And now looking back, I'm like, what? Like I, (laughs) why was I not, you know? Yeah. But I feel like there's so many things from like incorporating or like putting together a deck. Like if you're not, there's so many things to learn, you know, how to put together like a focus group or like ask the right questions or like test things. I mean, mm-hmm. I feel like even starting off, it's sometimes hard to find all of that info, but no, yes. I agree with you. I mean, students have like tremendous ideas, you know? So. Yeah. And I definitely agree with you too, that information is accessible technically, but it's not like it's easy to find necessarily. Yeah. Or- it's not a maybe commonly searched thing on on campuses even. In this last question, we chatted a little bit about this idea that having an entrepreneurial mindset is maybe easier than people think. I mm-hmm. think that the idea of that has its own myths, perhaps. But from your perspective, how can students and young professionals develop an entrepreneurial mindset if they feel like they're lacking in it or they don't believe that they're entrepreneurs? Yeah, 
honestly, even just like reading articles about different founders or watching videos or like interviews, like I think when people think sometimes of startup founders, like exactly what we're talking about, like you have like an illusion of what it means. But I think if you kind of dig deep, you'll find so many people who are entrepreneurs of like really, really different backgrounds who have different perspectives and are solving like widely different problems. And I think even just reading and learning about those different stories is sometimes a really good starting point for thinking about like, okay, I don't need to be like a Harvard dropout to to be, a, you know, an entrepreneurial founder or I don't need to have like a ton of experience. Like people find their own ways, you know, into starting and leading businesses. And I think I would also say that yeah, if there's a problem that you are solving, you're an entrepreneur. It's literally about being a problem solver. And so I think people who are struggling to get into that mindset, like I think just try and remind yourself of that. Like it's hard. I think it's easier said than done. But there's no reason why if you want to be one, you can't be one. You know, I mean, I know that there's like Time's an obstacle. Money's an obstacle. I know not everyone can drop everything and like start their own their own business. I'm not saying that. No, that that makes a lot of sense. Everything that you just said. And what would your answer be to that? Yeah, I'm curious. That's a good question. Things that helped me, at least, because there was definitely a at least a short period of time where I thought, okay, maybe I am an entrepreneur, and I had to convince myself at some point. I think the two things that helped me the most were once. As I was learning sort of foundations of entrepreneurship as well, I'll just label that. I realized I've always really been one in some way, shape or form, whether it's mm-hmm. like a yard sale or a bake sale as a kid or being a officer of a club in college or high school is yeah. essentially entrepreneurship. Yeah. yeah. So it helped me to think of ways in my life where I already was implementing the skills that like a typical entrepreneur has or things that they need to practice day to day. So by doing that, I was kind of convinced. <laughs> and what helped beyond that is I still do this to this day. I think I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. Anytime I think of any idea, whether or not it's in my realm or there's a founder market fit, which is kind of, it can be rare. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe I can be at, at the gas station or a grocery store. If I have an idea, I write it down immediately. Yeah, You never know. You never know oh. what could happen to that idea one day. But I think being in that mindset and, and growing that list out of ideas is just like a friendly reminder that, okay, you see a problem. This is ethnography, right? You're like watching someone do something and you're like, oh, this, this could mm-hmm. be improved in some way, whether it's yourself or another person. And I think that is a practice anyone can do. And with time, and as you write more ideas down, you will be sold eventually that you are an entrepreneur because that's always the first step is hundred percent. Yeah, that's what I do or have done. Yeah, TLDR, I agree with what <laughs> you just said. All right, Sandhya, we've, we've reached the end. Do you have any last words of wisdom for anyone looking to become a founder and maybe they're unsure of how to start or not sure if their idea is good enough? What, what advice do you have for them? Yeah, I would say that if you're a student, If you have anything, like if you have a startup incubator, if you know classmates who are running their own like side hustles, small businesses, you know, if you have the chance to just go and watch pitch competitions or anything, jump on it. At any stage, and especially the earliest stage, sometimes the best people to 
bounce ideas off of, learn from like judgment-free zones just to like run ideas past and like absorb information. I'm always also here as a resource. Like Mariah, definitely you can share my email and I'm happy to be here as a resource for anyone who has any questions. And I would also say that there's a lot of groups for aspiring entrepreneurs, for entrepreneurs of color, for female identifying entrepreneurs. I, you know, if there's just places where you can just go through resources and connect with people who are interested in similar things, I think often those, you know, environments can be really, really inspirational as well. And it's something that when you do start your own business, you're going to wish you had done sooner. So don't wait to start, I think, with those. I think you can just like jump in at any time. And whether or not you start your own company, it's just like an inspiring and educational environment to be part of. Awesome. Thank you so much again for joining us. Great chatting with you, Sonia. Yeah, likewise, Maria. Thank you so much for having me. This was awesome. Yes, of course. And to anyone tuning in, thank you for joining us. As always at Opal, we shine brighter together and we'll see you next time.